Welcome back to a special edition of the Beach Catholic Podcast. I'm Joe, the producer of the podcast, and right before we jump in with the discussion, I want to set the scene for you guys. This episode was recorded as part of a live discussion titled, God's Not Dead, led by former podcast guest, Mike Griffin. Mike introduces Father Brian, Father Leo, who is a new addition to the Beach Catholic Parishes, as well as another fan favorite, Father James Hansen. Mike moderates a discussion as well as opens it up to questions from the crowd. It's something a little different than what we normally do, but that being said, let's get right into it. So the layout for tonight, um, I'm just going to kind of intro our topic. Uh, we have those postcards floating around. Again, if you didn't grab one, they're over by this table. And um, each priest, Father Leo, uh, Father Brian, and Father Hansen, uh, will be talking for about five minutes uh, on the topic as well. And then after those talking points, we will also have time for um, like a Q&A. So if anyone of you want to ask a question or make a comment on anything that's said, uh, feel free to do that. That's why we give you a drink or two now, so that way maybe you'll, you'll ask a question uh, in about 15, 20 minutes from now. So let's get right into the topic. As you can see on the postcard, at the top it says, uh, there is a God or there is not a God. So that question is probably the most important one we'll ever ask ourselves, right? Is there a God? And there are two possibilities. And you can see that on the postcard. It's there is a God or there is not a God. There's no in between. So which one is true? At the end of our lives, we will find out that there is a God or that there is not a God. So while we're here on this earth, how do we look at the evidence around us? How do we place our faith in one of those answers? And you can see there's a quote from the catechism there as well. But it's kind of like, if you think about, if I were to ask you, uh, there was a Mets game, a Yankees-Mets game on, let's say, September 3rd, 1972. They played... Yankees versus Mets, and I were to ask you, who won the game? Yeah. Right? So we can say Yankees, some would say Mets. We don't know unless we look it up, right? We could look it up, but if I just ask you in a split second, you have to make a decision. I believe the Yankees won. I believe the Mets won. If you say I believe, you know, that doesn't mean that you're not wrong, right? You could say I believe the Yankees won, but if the Mets won, you were wrong. So we can say, people can say, against us as believers, you know, oh, I believe there's not a God, and you, you can't prove otherwise. But like the game, one of us is right, one of us is wrong, no matter what we say, I believe in. But there's a quote there at the bottom, it's the, the bottom paragraph, it says, to live a life without believing in God and without building a relationship with God is a huge risk. And I would say it's probably the biggest risk that we can make is, and we can say is, there is no God. To live our lives and say there is no God is a huge risk. Think about how we live our lives on this earth. We take precautions all the time, right? We, we wear seatbelts, like on your right here, probably wore a seatbelt in the car. We tell our kids to wear helmets when they ride a bike. Uh, we swim when there's a lifeguard on duty. Uh, we go to the doctor once a year to get a checkup. We wear a mask during COVID. Right? We take precautions all the time physically, with our physical bodies, but do we ever take precautions spiritually? And that's what that decision's all about, is, is there a God? What precautions am I going to make with my life? Because at the end, we will find out. It's kind of like this, if you're, imagine yourself at the edge of a cliff, and you fall off the cliff, and in slow motion, when you look to your right, there's a branch, 
instinctively, what do you do? You reach for that branch to save yourself, right? The atheist would say, the non-believer would say, when I'm falling off that cliff and I see that branch in slow motion, well, I'm not really sure if that branch will hold me. I'm 200 pounds, so you know what? I, I'm not sure, I can't prove it if it will hold me, so why bother in even reaching out? Why even reach for the branch? Because I'm just not sure if it will hold me. Right, instinctively, on our physical bodies, we always take precautions. We always reach for that branch physically. We need to do the same spiritually because yes, we can get in a, a car accident, we can fall off our bike and get hurt, but at the end of our life, our eternal soul, if there's a God, will be judged. That's the biggest risk of all. And on the back, you'll see it says, science can neither prove nor disprove the existence of God. And that's true, right? We can't 100% prove God. We can't 100% disprove God. So we need to look at science. This is a myth that science and, and God and belief can't occupy the same space. They need to occupy the same space. So I actually did some research on some scientists. I've been reading and uh, watching some podcasts and reading some uh, philosophers and people who are much, much smarter than me. Um, and they said, these scientists said, like, there's probabilities, there's mathematical probabilities for the Earth to be created on accident. And there's 15, like, universal constants that all had to be perfect, like, to the millionth of a degree at the same time, these 15 universal constants, in order for the universe to have life. If anyone was off a little bit by a millionth of a degree, the universe would have collapsed in on itself or all these other options. And they give a ratio for this. They say, here's the probability of life being created on accident. The scientist, this atheistic scientist, he says, it's one in a hundred trillion, 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 trillion. So is it possible? So you're saying there's a chance. Right? There's a, so there's a chance, but it's improbable. In other words, the same scientist said, it would be like if I handed you a dice and I said, you need to roll a six on that dice 70 times in a row. The scientist did a mathematical probability for that. He said it would take you, on average, 100 to the 50th degree years to roll a six 70 times. And, you know, as I learned more about this, it kind of, it made me upset because it took me till I was, I, I read these books like when I was 26. It took me all that life, I went to Catholic school my whole life, until I realized that we can use our logic, we can use our brains to feed our beliefs and to help us believe. So science helps us believe in God. To me, I can't be an atheist because I don't have enough faith. It's too improbable that there is no God. And what we're gonna do next is we're gonna look at those, uh, there's like numbers, one through eight, evidence for God. And I'm just gonna mention one before I hand it over to the priest. The second one says morality, right? Right and wrong. So this is a little doomsday, but if there's no God, ultimately nothing matters. If there's no God, then like we are just matter and molecules floating around. We matter no more than these bricks or the grass you're sitting on. We know that's not the case. Everyone, even the most secular people, and in this country, this secular country that we live in, the most secular people fight for equality and an end to racism and for freedom 
We fight for morality all the time. Morality is an evidence for God, is evidence for an existence of a supreme being. Because if there was no God, then why does right and wrong matter? So those are just a few of my talking points. What I would leave you with is that story of that branch. Reach out for the branch. Build your relationship with God. We do it physically. We also need to do it spiritually. So Father Leo is going to share a few things as well about evidence for God. I just want to start out by addressing a common uh, misperception is that you know all you need to do is have faith and you need to take that leap of faith in order to reach God in order to come to a knowledge and love of God and certainly faith is a huge part of our, our Catholic religion but that's only part of the story and, and like uh, Mike was, was sharing and touching on uh, our faith, our religion, belief in God is also reasonable. You could come to an existence, a knowledge of an existence of God. God exists, and there are certain things we can know about Him through human reasoning and through the intellect. Uh, reason for that is because you know, it's a, our, our mind, our intellect is a, is a gift from God. And he wants us to use that, our, our power to reason, to come to know him as well as faith. So we have these two, two things, faith and reason. And we want to avoid uh, two extremes. So one extreme would be uh, just trying to get to know God and living out the faith just through faith alone. And then the other side would be just through reasoning, just through the mind and the intellect. And that's how uh, you live out your, yeah, your life and your, and your religion. But it's those two things together. And if you uh, get a chance, I, I highly recommend reading St. John Paul II's encyclical letter entitled, not surprisingly, Faith and Reason. And he talks about these two things. He describes them as two wings on which the human person can soar to the contemplation of the truth. And the truth being a person for us, a real live person for us, the person of Jesus Christ who said, I am the truth as well as the life and the way. Right, so we need these two wings, two things of faith and reason. And during, uh, during my time, my, my experience of trying to defend the faith and explain the faith and trying to convince people, you know, why they should believe in God, why they should have a personal, intimate relationship with God. Uh, you know, our, our rich Catholic tradition, it gives us so many resources. And just at a glance, uh, we have a lot of the good um, examples and reasons to believe right here on this card. But a lot of times I haven't found them to be too effective, you know, but uh, something that I, that I have found to be at least a conversation starter to, to an atheist, someone who is aggressively against uh, believing in the existence of, of God is something called Pascal's Wager. Has 
Does anybody here know uh, Pascal's wager? Oh, so good. I'm 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 happy. <laughs> I'm happy to share. So Pascal wager. This is basically Pascal's wager. There are two options, right? Either God exists, right, or God doesn't exist. And then to those two things, we have two responses, which are you believe in God or you choose unbelief, not to believe in God. So God exists, either he exists or he doesn't. And then two responses that the person has, right, to, to believe in God or not to believe in God. So let's go through the scenarios. If God exists, right, and you do believe in God, what are the consequences? Well, eternal happiness with him forever in heaven, our ultimate destination, right? But even during this life, a life of virtue, a life of happiness, a life of joy, reward, and fulfillment, hopefully a life that all of us are, are living, right? Okay, God exists, but what if I don't believe? What are the consequences? Um, eternal damnation, hell, right? Well, that's not to rule out God's mercy, um, but basically you're making, the person is making the decision, yeah, I ch I'm choosing not to believe. Right? I'm saying no to God. But what about the other, the other choice, the other option where let's say that God doesn't exist, but you still choose to believe? What are the consequences then? Well, you're still living a happy life, right? And studies have shown that people who are religious, they tend to be happier. So what if God, and then the last option would be if God doesn't exist and you choose not to believe. Well then, you wouldn't, when you die, you wouldn't know either in this life or you know, when you die later on, you wouldn't know if God existed or not and you would just kind of fall into oblivion. So just by weighing those options, it makes so much more sense to believe. It's a it's a win-win situation, right? It's a win situation whether God exists or he doesn't, if you choose to believe, right? And Pascal knew that, of course, this was not uh, the totality of, of the faith, all that's true, good, and beautiful, but at least this could be kind of a stepping stone, right? Or, or helping the atheist open up their mind and get them through the door, so to speak. How am I doing on time? Am I? Oh, okay, all right. You're gonna be much shorter than Father Brian. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I just got here, so I'm not, I, I, I'm not too privy on like the inside jokes, and I, but I guess uh, Father Brian has a tendency to, to go longer. Um, but you know what, but you know what, if it's good, then it doesn't matter if it's long, right? Am I right? Uh, all right. <laughs> Another thing I want to talk about is a, a, a common substitute for religion these days, which is science, right? The religion of science. And there is a, a view called scientism. And basically, scientism is the view that 
only if science can prove something to be true, that's when it's real. That's when you know we, it's you should believe it. Okay, but then just by um, so that's the main one of the main principles of of scientism, right? If science can show or prove that something is is true, then that's when it's real. But then what about that statement itself? Science can't prove that statement to be true, can it? And science, it can answer the deep, profound questions in the human heart, such as, you know, what, what is the meaning of life? Or something even more basic, why is there something rather than nothing? So many, all this to say is there are so many um, good reasons to believe. And our, our Catholic faith is a very reasonable one. So even though we're not going to have all the time tonight to, to go over all the, all the great reasons, uh, I'd like to encourage you to, yeah, to research, to have that, in, uh, that knowledge for uh, the existence of God, good reasons for why God exists and he is good and why you should believe uh, in your kind of tool belt so that um, when you're out there and you, and you come across people who you know are skeptical or who are who don't believe you could share some of these things thank you good evening everybody So, <clears throat> I was told I have five minutes. <laughs> it's an outrage. <laughs> Let's do this. Father James, Father Leo, <clears throat> when I go over five minutes, you throw a flip-flop at me. <laughs> I'd love to. <laughs> but the clock hasn't started yet. <laughs> So uh, <clears throat> one of my, uh, and I've, I've, I've talked about this movie a couple of times over the years, one of my favorite movies is uh, probably, and it might be like in my top five, and this may sound crazy, but I love it. I love the movie Jaws. Um, I just, I love Steven Spielberg. Um, <clears throat> I remember the first time I saw it, I was 11, it was 1976. Um, the movie was so huge, if you remember, if you're old enough, like, it was in the movies for like an entire year. It was just, it was crazy how popular it was. I was too scared to see it when it first came out. The following year I went, and I'll just never forget it. Remember that opening scene when the girl is swimming at night and like she gets pulled under the water? It's just terrifying. Um, I mean, I still, when I go to the, you know, when I'm, yeah, exactly. When I'm, you know, when I get up to my neck in the water or maybe even over my head, that's totally what I start thinking about is that movie. I mean, I, it was just, um, I know it's not rational. I know it's ridiculous. You know, the, the probability of a shark attack is like, 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 like zero almost. But I don't know. Spielberg just, I think he's like, he, he in that movie, um, and again, maybe it had to do with being a little kid. Although I still think it, I don't think it's aged. Like it, it's held its own over 45 years, but I think he, he terrorized us. 
I think the way the shark terrorized uh, Amity Island in some respects, um, people just screaming in the, in the theater and uh, anyway, I saw um, a couple of months ago Life, well, Life magazine isn't really around anymore, but I guess they put out these commemorative things, you know, in the in the supermarket, and it was uh, about Jaws. It was the 45th anniversary of the movie, so I bought it in a, in a, in a heartbeat, and um, and I knew a lot about. It. I've kind of read about the movie. I've seen it a million times, but uh, the making of the movie was kind of interesting. Um, Spielberg was. It was his second movie, I think he was like 26 or something. And it was a nightmare, the, the production of this movie. They, they filmed it up in Martha's Vineyard. And uh, they went over budget, they went over schedule. Um, he was this new director, they were gonna fire him. And the, real, the reason for all the, the, the problems was these mechanical sharks. You know, this was pre-CGI, uh, is that what it is, CGI? You know, this was, they, would, they had these mechanical sharks they had three of them, and uh, they were all breaking down. They didn't factor in salt water uh, in New England, and so it was just causing crazy delays in the, in, the, in the production of the movie. So the result of that was um, he filmed a lot of the movie without the shark. That wasn't his, it wasn't his intention originally. Um, but he just, he didn't have the shark. It, it continued to be bro broken down or be breaking down. So he had to like rethink the way he was gonna film the movie. If you watch it, you don't see the shark until halfway through the movie. The shark kills a number of people and you still have, you never see the shark. Um, it was because they didn't have the mechanical shark. It was very practically, practically was the reason. But what they say is, I mean, every, everybody says this. People who know movies say it. People who just went to the movies, they said it, it created this dynamic where it became more terrifying because you didn't see this threat. You knew it was real. You saw the effects of it, people dying in horrifying ways. You didn't see it again until midway through the movie. Um, and he filmed it from the perspective of the shark. It's like, you remember, you know, like, da-da, da-da, you know, the music, the soundtrack, well, that's not how it goes, but you know what I mean. The soundtrack, you know, this creepy music, and, and the camera is just, it's sort of like coming from the perspective of the shark, and it's just terrifying. Um, but you didn't see much of it. Like, less, less was more less proof it was actually more compelling it was more frightening less experience of this kind of horrifying th threat um and it kind of just i guess my point for bringing it up is along with just loving the movie um this topic tonight how could something that you couldn't see talking about the movie how could something you couldn't see be so compelling? How could something you, you couldn't see for the first hour seem so real? And in this case, the case of the movie, so frightening. Um, you don't need to see it to believe it. 
You don't need proof of something to be frightened by something. I think that's swell. I think certainly it was true of sharks in, that, in the movies. And I think it's true of God in our lives. You don't need photographic evidence to believe. Despite what, you know, so much of what our culture says, and I think so much of uh, certain generations, younger people, it's like a little bit of the Thomas the Apostle syndrome. And if you can't show me, I'm not gonna, I'm not, I'm not gonna buy it. Um, but the crazy thing is we do. With God, so many people don't, but with like so many other things, we do. Remember in the movie, remember the mayor? You know, he was this kind of an idiot who just, you know, the 4th of July was coming and it was tourists, you know, it was the weekend and this, they knew this shark was there. They knew it was real. They knew it was present. And he was just denying it. He was, they were coming up looking for other excuses. It was another kind of fear. It wasn't a shark. They caught this other shark. It was there, but they, they knew that wasn't the one that killed the kid. Or the, but he just wouldn't kind of face what, he's, what he knew was true. I mean, how often do, does our culture do that? I'm just, I won't, I won't, I won't, I won't see, I won't accept what I know is there, I know is true. It's a great line, or just an interesting line in the movie when they're, they're fighting over this. Are we going to close the beaches or not? And remember Richard Dreyfuss, he's the, the oceanographer, and he's arguing with the mayor, and the mayor's like, I don't think it's a shark, I don't think it's a shark. And he says, you're going to ignore this problem until it swims up and bites you on the butt. <laughs> like, how long do we have to wait before God swims up and bites us on the butt. People we know that we, we love, who just won't come in this building. They'll go almost anywhere else, but they won't come here. It's like, what do you wait, like, how much evidence do you need? I had a. I was at a funeral this morning out in St. Patrick's in Smithtown for a very good friend of mine. I, 30 years ago, I was in the seminary at the time, and I spent a whole year, a whole, uh, yeah, a whole year living in, in a parish, St. Pat's, and got to know this guy, John O'Connell. And uh, he was 50 at the time, and uh, five kids, just a wonderful guy, wonderful family, and totally kind of just embraced me and invited me into their lives and I just came to love them and, and really loved him. And, um, he died a month ago down in Florida and just were able to get him basically up here. Now, he was a city cop, he was a, he was a detective, very interesting guy, he was very involved in Son of, the Son of Sam in the 70s and catching him and Big, tough Irish guy, um, and he was so good to me. 
So I was very saddened by his, by his, his death, his law, prospect of him not being around anymore. And a mutual friend of ours, another parishioner out at St. Pat's, she wrote me this little note maybe two weeks after he died, kind of just like, like a consolation letter to me about John. And she began it and she said, Dear Father Brian, I'm so, I'm so heartbroken that we've lost our hero. It was almost like my knees almost buckled when I read that. I was like, yeah, that's exactly, and he kind of was our, he was my hero, one of my heroes, and the hero of many. I talked this morning about his kids were going through all his stuff, the last couple of his papers and work-related things, and they found this letter that was written in 1964. He was 24, he was a cop. He was off duty at the time, and he was in a train station up in White Plains, and there's a guy working in the token booth. And uh, yeah, he's just doing his job. And another guy runs up to the token guy and says, hey, somebody just fell on the tracks. And the person looked very much in distress, like they couldn't get up and get away from the, get away. They couldn't help themselves. So the guy runs out, locks the door of the, the booth, and he goes heading toward the tracks. And he sees this other guy now on the tracks, picking this guy up. And he carried him, and, and they say, he said he saved his life. Well, it was this guy, John. And nobody knew that. His kids never heard that story before. I never heard that story. This guy's humility was staggering. His kids loved him so much. They spoke with such eloquence about their, their, just their love, their desire to not, you know, this... They just I didn't want to disappoint him. I felt that way almost about him. I mean, I had a great dad, but he was almost kind of like a, a secondary one. He came from a, a very tough background. His father was disappeared and just a real dysfunctional kind of family 80 years ago, 70 years ago. And he transcended it. He broke sinful, dysfunctional cycles. And he became this great man. And he raised a great family, along with his great wife. I really just love this guy. And uh, the prospect of him not being around anymore is just, and I didn't see him that much. It wasn't like I saw him a lot, but I'll, I will miss him. And hey, we all have our John O'Connells. I know I'm not alone. We all have those people in our lives. Not a lot of them, because there aren't a lot of them. But just great people who change our lives. Well, I think God's fingerprints were all over John O'Connell's life. Like, I have to look no further than his life to find evidence of God. And it's not a photo, of course. You know, it's, it's not something objective. And not to get too serious, but I just, I, 30 years ago, I was, 25 and 
thinking about the priesthood and I was well very much thinking about it but trying to figure out is this what I want to do and this man and his and his family and other people like they just stepped into my life and I think God sent John into my life somehow can I prove it no way do I believe it you bet it's like the shark can I see it no but I believe it. I think it's more often than not, it's about seeing God like in the everyday. Not even maybe every day, but in kind of the ordinariness of our lives, the people that we die for, the people who sacrifice for us, the people whose death just saddens us. I think it's about being willing to, or able, or open to just seeing those God-sent people. The God-sent people. So search is just, I think it's about searching for his fingerprints. And then you see them. I want to talk about just one word on this whole paper, and it's called motion. Uh, it's the first proof of Thomas Aquinas' five proofs. And motion is important because there's the potential and the actuality. So like that sandal had the potential to drill Father Brian <laughs> in the face <laughs> 10 minutes ago. <laughs> but it didn't actualize because <laughs> I didn't throw it because I love him. <laughs> but uh, you know, motion is uh, those five proofs for God's existence are something that I find really interesting, and you, you can't go over all of them tonight, but I really encourage you to read into them, look up them, and motion's probably Aquinas's best argument, uh, or the strongest argument, philosophically speaking, for God's existence. So Father Leo touched on this a little bit, but that we can use our brains to kind of uh, have an understanding of God. And motion uh, really involves those two words, which are really philosophical, actuality and potential. And I'm not gonna go into those, but we could totally discuss them, and I really encourage you to look it up because it's a lot of fun. But it's um, how I teach it to little kids, I think, is really fun, because I do teach them about this in, in starting in really second and third grade. And I go to the example that I love most in life, which uh, whenever we go to a new city or if I'm visiting a town, uh, and I've done this with Father Brian, what's one of the first things I look for? And when we go to a new city or a new town or something? Don't say a bar. <laughs> no, not a church, should be church too. You know, where we go in Ireland all the time? Oh, ghost tours? Ghost tours, that's right. I love looking up ghost tours. If you go to a new city, I wanna go find a ghost tour because really they're, they're interesting. They're like, uh, they're more like histories of things that have happened in the city and you go to spots and they kinda of just tell you stuff. But what I tell with kids is, you know, if you were in your house 
and the lights started flickering and your windows started going up and down and all the doors started closing and slamming, what, how'd you feel? And they'd be like, I'd feel scared. And I say, why would you feel scared? Because things don't move on their own. So, so the kids in second grade, they're, they're like, yeah, no. Like, so then what would you think it was? We think it's a ghost. And like, so that's scary because they don't understand that. And so this concept of motion, things don't move unless they're, they're, they're caused to move. And so when I was in college, I remember one of my professors before going into seminary, he, he said something really interesting. He said, you know, he started, it was the first person that was really explaining the Big Bang Theory to me and then how we can trace time back to a time before time existed. Like, and I was like, I put my hand up right away. I was like, what? Like, we can go back to a time before time existed, right? It, and so from that point on, we have really no, we're not sure what, it, what was there or how it came to be. But there's some point in time that we can trace that all of a sudden, the universe explodes. And it starts expanding into the universe and there's motion. And that motion is continuing in, like, like right now, the universe is still continuing to grow into this space. And so it's, for me, it's, uh, it, it is fascinating to just ponder that one thing. So what, what caused that? Where does that come from? How did we get to that point? And, and so we call him like the unmoved mover. You've probably heard that before, the unmoved mover. And, and that is, for me, like one of those really interesting, fascinating things about how God, uh, one, one of these five proofs. Now, that one is probably his strongest. His weakest one is probably the, the fourth, which is um, absolute being. And really, it's, but it's still probably one of my favorite because it's the most poetic. And absolute being, I like to call it when I talk to the kids, the, the, the grand superlative, I call it. Like, can you think of something better? Yes. It's like, uh, this pizza place is better than that pizza place, but this pizza place is the best pizza place and there's no better pizza pizza in the whole entire world. It's like, could you fathom something that is, in essence, has uh, no, it's fully, it's uh, actualized, you know, to go back to those words. There's no potential in it. It's completely actual. It is being itself, and that's what we refer to when we talk about God. Please wake your neighbor up. I know how boring this is, but it's like, <laughs> but when we talk about God's love, and I use this at funeral masses a lot, it's because you know we love our spouse, we love our children, we try to love, we grow in love. So we could imagine loving the people that we love most in the world and that we wanna love them more. But could you fathom a being that cannot love more than it already loves, right? God can't change, he's unchanging, he's the Alpha and the Omega, and so his love, which is completely and utterly perfect, which we see on, in Jesus crucified on the cross, it's what would that love be essentially able to accomplish? destroying even death, death itself, right? So, so that's, you know, the, I like Gold and get the grand superlative, but that's his fourth one. It's poetic, it's beautiful, and you know, um, they're a lot of fun. So I love those five topics. I could tell you other places where to look them up if you ever wanna talk, but uh, I think we have good reason to believe that God exists. Thank you very much. Was that five minutes? <laughs> Great, um, I love that dynamic between Hanson and Barr. Uh, we're gonna do a little Q&A now. Um, I'm hoping that we can get some participation here. We wanna interact with you a little bit and get a question. It might be a question like that you might not have, but play devil's advocate. Ask a question that maybe someone 
you know who doesn't go to church or doesn't believe so much, you know, why, why don't they go? Ask that question to um, the priest behind me. Uh, we're going to have a floating microphone. Um, you don't have to, Joe will wear a mask and you don't have to touch the mic. He'll just uh, put it over and you can ask the question. We have, if we have any brave people out there. Yeah, right here. What you wanted us to ask about, but uh, anything about the topic uh, tonight, basically, like the existence of God, well, or I'm, anything we talked about. I'm sort of a mathematician and also scientifically oriented, and you know, from my anecdotal readings, I would say the vast majority of scientists strongly believe in God. So that that science and uh, religion overlap; they don't dispel each other. You know, as a logician, I'm sure you've heard the story, you know, can God do anything? Of course he can. Can he make a small rock big? Yeah. Well, absolutely. Can he make it so big that he can't pick it up? And that's the dichotomy or the confusion. Mm -hmm. You can't prove anything logically. You have to know from your inner heart and experience. Any comments on that? I think that's great. Like, thank you. I, I, I think um, I agree with you. I, I'm not sure how many scientists actually feel that way about science being the be-all end-all. I think a lot of people do have um, loud platforms. I'm thinking of Chris, like uh, Richard Dawkins and some of these gentlemen that write all these books and, and scientists, but I'm so happy to hear that you're saying that. So, that's great. Yeah. Any, uh, anyone else? Please don't be shy. Oh, back, oh, back there? everyone thank you uh, for having this um, I was born in Catholic, in Catholic faith and I, I give thanks to my parents every day because that helps me get through the tough times and you know my son who's 27 now received all his sacraments but sort of around 16 or so I don't know it was like something with the teachers at school and they were he's like lost his faith and I just say to him um, you know he says, Mom, I don't believe in God. And I said, well, Garrett, God believes in you, and he'll be ready when, you, when you're ready. And that's all I can do. I can't force him to go to church. I tried that. He goes to church with me maybe at Christmas. But, um, you know, I, I just pray that he does have it, because without my faith, I don't think I could get through life. So thank you. Yeah, I would just uh, say to that, um, to, to keep praying for for your son and, and you know for all of us our loved ones who are uh, separated from God but also another aspect too uh, which I have been um, encouraging people is to offer sacrifices right penitential acts uh, with the intention of you know tying that to my loved one and um, asking God to you know work to work through through me to bring that person back and um, yeah just just to never give up just never keep praying and, and uh, offering sacrifices with the intention of um, that your loved one comes comes back home and I think that's much to the reason why we did this kind of night is to we want to like I, I was able to learn these things that help my faith um, we want 
we want everyone to be able to go home and, and share with their loved ones that you know this isn't just it's not just a belief and I think the most important thing is you know when when someone's suffering or going through something where a, a loved one isn't believing the most important thing we can do is not like throw all these facts and go home and give this card to them it's it's just to be with them it's it's to love them and to be with them and some people are on their journey at different points in their life um, and we have to trust that one day you know they will come to God because God is like you said always always there for all of us and also to to continue to to witness to the joy and, and love um, of living a faith-filled life right I think uh, the worst thing that we could possibly do is is to live a kind of joyless or um, nasty grumpy kind of faith uh, then forget about all this uh, then the person's gonna be like yeah you believe and you're you're the way that you are that's that's just gonna feed into their you know uh, already disbelief you know I also think it's uh, <clears throat> like the, the, the concept of uh, the evangelization um, I think like one one way of maybe describing what that is is like <clears throat> finding new ways of speaking timeless truths, things that have been true forever, but just finding new ways of expressing them. Um, and I think that sometimes there's kind of a need for that. Like um, you know, with that mom who just spoke, like that's just like epidemic, isn't it? Oh, it's like who do, who doesn't either have kids or grandkids or or you know whatever neighbors who's just like. They're just, they're just not, they're just not willing to be part of the community of faith, or certainly not our community of faith at this point. And, um, I don't know, I just think, I think, I think sometimes, and hey, this is totally opinion, but like, finding the balance between, you gotta give them, you gotta give them their time. I mean, you can't make somebody do something they don't wanna do, it's just not gonna work, right? At a especially at a certain age. But I don't think that, then means do nothing. Like other 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 ways. You know, sometimes I'll I'll, I'll say to parents who are expressing this this real concern. It's like write a letter. Write a, write a write a letter to your kid about why your faith is so important to you. And I mean, get specific and get honest. Like tell them about a time in your life when. Man, if you didn't have your faith to lean on, you don't know if you would have gotten through it. And as opposed to just, you know, you need to be doing this, and you're you're disappointing me, and you're committing sin, and all, and all that kind of stuff. You know, not that that stuff is untrue, but I just don't know. It doesn't seem to be effective, right? Um, it's like finding different ways to to not give up. I think is important. Other questions, comments? Over here, uh, Joe. Over here. Sorry. Hi. Um, I was. Oh, sit there. I became a Catholic uh, about 35 years ago, and I think I can share tonight. It's kind of scary, but um, 40 years ago, uh, while well, I was in church, I was not a Catholic, but I went for years with my friends. During the service, I um, I actually saw the light on the altar, and I was called. And I felt a tremendous love that I could never explain to anybody, you know. And I know God is real. 
I know he is real. And when we go towards having Holy Communion, realize that Jesus is present in, in the Blessed Sacrament. He is there. I saw, I saw, and I'm talking tonight for the first time. And that was over 40 years ago. Thank you for sharing that with us. Anyone else? So, um, full disclosure, I'm a cradle Catholic, but uh, I'd say like when I was like, there was a span when I was like eight to like 14 where I didn't really believe in God. I was like uh, one of those, you know, an annoying, you know, stereotypical atheist with the fedora and the neck beard. Well, I was too young to grow a neck beard, but uh, you get the case. Uh, you, get, you get the idea. Anyway, um, as uh, the gentleman before said uh, that, you know, science, uh, scientists, a lot of them believe in God. Uh, I, I agree. I read somewhere that like 90% of like astronomers or something uh, believe in God. Um, and when you look at history, because uh, I'm a history buff, uh, you know, y you look at how science was done back in the olden days, and usually it was monks and everything, uh, and science and faith were very intertwined. So I guess what I'm trying to get at here is why is this kind of like a new phenomenon where science, where faith and reason are seen as opposite? Like, this clearly wasn't the case, you know, back in the olden days, but why is it like that now? Somebody, uh, you know, I mean, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but it's like somebody trying to shift the narrative, or is it uh, something else, or I, I don't know. I think a lot of it has to do with the, the rise of te like technology and, and how, you know, people can go, you can live your whole life never believing in God, and still be extremely successful, right? We can, you can have a lot of money and, and, and still have temporary joy without believing in God. Um, but I think so much of it has to do with, we, people only want to operate with what they can see in front of them. Uh, and it's, it's hard to believe if Jesus could just come down and, and walk and just you know, make people levitate and be like, do all these miracles. It'd be easy for us to believe, but it's supposed, it's supposed to be hard. And I think as we've grown, more and more scientific as a society that that has kind of dominated these belief where we're seen as you know it bothers me when we're seen as the foolish ones for believing that we we believe blindly we don't we don't uh, you know agree with science but that's just that's just not the case and i think that um we're not allowed to bring god into spaces so much anymore and i think that has also something to do with that on anything else guys any other uh, questions, comments? Oh, okay. Um, with every blade of grass, with every flower that you see, the smile on a little baby's face, or the twinkle in an old man's eye, how could you not believe in God? <laughs> I mean, it's just so evident. It's like looking at the ocean and saying there's no water. <laughs> yeah. I give him a round of applause, maybe. I don't know. I think you want me to wrap it up, or? Okay. Others? Anyone else, Joe? Okay. 
Yes, hi, my question would be, how can you um, express to somebody who is not welcome in the church because they are gay? What would you say to somebody like that? Uh, well, we, no one says that. Uh, you know, we, um, we don't, we don't, we don't, uh, our teaching, and I think the point that maybe, and I would go back to what that other gentleman was asking before about when did the science and the, the, the faith kind of start going in different directions or get to this point. I think that we, we have, um, you, you get down to morality, and morality was one of the things on the card that, that kind of says there's a code that we have made in God's image and likeness. And, and so we always say things like we, we, we love the sinner, like or, or we and and I include myself in that as one of the biggest ones I know. Trust me, I go to confession like twice a month, but but all are welcome. But there we do believe that in in being made in God's image and likeness that there's like this this way of being within us that that flourishes in a way. And so I I don't want to go with that topic per se, but I would say any time when we're going to talk about a moral issue or or what's right and what's wrong, we don't. You know, I, I was thinking about this today because I thought this morality issue could come up, and it's like uh, when you're a little kid. I, I saw a little girl run out to a car yesterday, and her dad went to go grab her, and and he was horrified because he lost track of her. And I could see him explaining to her like, "You can't, you're not supposed to do that, right?" Like, and, and she's, and I'm watching her trying to learn her father's giving her a rule like you know the rule is is that you can't run towards the street if I'm not watching you but then that little girl's gonna turn like 14 or 15 and like she's gonna be like dad forget you right like so she's going to essentially like question the rules we all do that we all question I think certain things in life and and, and we push back at our parents God knows I did right but then at some point, I really do believe that is there rules or are there certain things in life that maybe go beyond my personal understanding and, and that law or that rule or that, that moral issue that you'd want to discuss, maybe I don't have the fullest grasp on that and I'm saying that completely and wholeheartedly from my thing, but that perhaps God has a plan. And so uh, in terms of sexuality or any moral issue that we would be talking about, I think there's a lot to try to understand, but all are all are welcome in the, in the church. All are welcome to follow God. All are welcome to, to come and to have that conversation. And I think I'm I, I would say it's about learning. I'm still learning how much God loves me and, and how what He has in store for me personally. And, and I would say to anyone with that certain uh, situation that you're discussing, I'd say the same thing to them. I think God loves you, and I think he has things in store for you that go, go beyond your wildest imagination. But it is a tough, that, that, that's a, a tough topic. Do you want to follow up on that, or do you want to add something? You could, you could add, I don't know. I, you know, the person I'm speaking about did have, um, as a child, you know, an experience where without my belief in my faith, I don't think he would have survived, and I do express that to that person, but at the same time, he feels, and he did just have his son baptized, so he is religious, but he does not feel welcomed by the Catholic Church. Yeah. Well, thank so God. how can I make that change? How can I get him to understand that after all you've been through and what you've done, 
you should be able to go into church, but he just does not feel welcome. I think I'm a teacher. I work with high school students and middle school students, and this, these kind of topics come up all the time. And I always just point to the person of Jesus. When you look at Jesus and you look at the Gospels in his life, who is he spending time with? Uh, he's spending time with the prostitutes. He's spending time with the outcast of society. And it is, uh, it is a misperception that you can sin too greatly to be welcomed by the church, or you can, you can sin, you, this type of sin, or whatever type of sin you want to talk about, you're not welcome. That's just not the case. Will we still hold the truth and, uh, and what the truth is? Yes, but Jesus was with the worst of society. And that's how we're supposed to live as well. We're, we're not, we welcome everyone, we're supposed to befriend everyone. And that's what I teach my students. It's not, no sin is too great. Yeah, you know, I, I also, I think I'd, um, that person, or all, all people who feel um, unwelcome, rejected by the church, I think um, one, uh, you know, we, we can stand up here literally like in a panel and say everybody's welcome. Well, everybody is welcome, but that person doesn't feel it. Um, so I would, one thing I think I would say is personalize it, meaning to try to connect that person to a church person. Um, most people, I think this is probably accurate, most people, I mean, what's the, what's the last religion class most people took? Like uh, eighth grade, maybe 12th grade, you know, CCD, which in, in, in so many places is kind of lame. Not down here. We kill it down here. We're awesome, <laughs> but you know, most places it's 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 kind of not. It's it's painful, and you know, maybe you went to a Catholic high school. Maybe you went to a Catholic college and took six credits of theology. A lot of maybes there. My point is like, people make these um, I don't know kind of conclusions about what we believe and as a church and sometimes it's like no you just it's just not it's not accurate now at the end of the day yeah there there, there will without question be um positions teachings that we b believe to be true which are just not going to be accepted by all people i mean jesus was murdered arguably for that reason so it doesn't mean you know oh connect that person to a, a good priest or a, a good church person and all will be all will be made well not necessarily but I think I think kind of like the personal like let's cut through CNN's take on what the Catholic Church has to say because they don't it, they a combination of two things like they, they sort of hate the church and they're gonna be inaccurate and if we get a steady dose of that it's like that's what people sincerely think we are and what we're about. Um, like, get, try and get closer to the source. So I would just personalize it. Say, you talk to somebody who loves the church because they're gonna love you too. By the way, I think, Father James, you should consider going to confession three or four times a month. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, that, that warrants applause. <laughs>
Can I just add something while we're on this uh, topic of morality? And it's that uh, it's one of the arguments for the existence of God. Uh, you know, how do we know something that's, if something is right and wrong? Um, even before, uh, when we go back into history, before like civilizations and people, uh, different parts of the world had access to the gospel. And uh, like they knew something inscribed in their hearts, something told them that murder, theft, rape, like these things are, are wrong. And that's through a shared conscience that we have. Nobody, nobody had to teach, uh, teach you that, or maybe they did, but even before that, if no, even if nobody taught you that, you would know murdering someone was something bad, right? As opposed to something good. And, and that's because of, of our conscience and, and uh, because God is good. We're, we're, we're called to be good too and even though there were, there were times and civilizations where he did not uh, like that, that access to the Ten Commandments they were not uh, aware of that that's how uh, people knew through their conscience that there is a higher moral authority an objective one and, and that's from God Great. Well, um, thank you guys so much for being here. We're just we're gonna wrap up. We're gonna have final final comments. This has got to be sixty seconds or less, um, and we are we're gonna wrap for tonight. But um, one announcement: we're gonna have a similar night um, titled "God's Not Dead." Um, it's also just really good to see that you know, your presence here is is kind of shining the light on our faith, which is a great public way to do that. Um, but we'll, the second night will be two weeks from today, um, August 25th on Tuesday at 7.30 um, at Miraculous Metal and Point Lookout in the Grotto. So same kind of night, same kind of format. Um, but let's just do uh, final thoughts. If we could do maybe Father Hansen, then Father Brian, then Father Leo, and then we'll have a final prayer and wrap up. Yeah, I just want to recommend two podcasts that I think could help you uh, journey with the philosophical stuff. One's called Pints with Aquinas. Uh, Matt Frad puts that out. And he has it on YouTube, too, so you could check that out, Pints with Aquinas. He's often interviewing philosophers and uh, Catholic theologians. And the other is the Council of Trent, Trent Horn, who I think uh, somebody might have mentioned before, the Council of Trent. There are two really good podcast YouTube channels that I think could expand on some of the stuff we talked about tonight. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I'll give it to Father Brian for the bulletin. Good idea. Yeah, just thanks to everybody. This is, you know, so great to see so many, to have so many people for, and this is a little different, you know, so often we're doing uh, adoration in the holy hours, which are amazing, um, but it's nice to do something a little different, um, maybe more interactive, and, and and like Mike, you just said, I think that the public dimension of it is, is, is pretty cool, too. Um, people riding their bikes, coming by, and just seeing a bunch of crazy Jesus freaks on the lawn, so... <laughs> Um, thanks for being crazy Jesus freaks. You're the best. <laughs> I just want to uh, continue to encourage everyone to, yeah, to seek, continue to seek the answers because they're out there. And, and with uh, the events of, advances of technology, there's so many great resources out there, good Catholic resources. Father James mentioned some, but on YouTube, I would, I would recommend uh, Ascension Presents. Um, Bishop Robert Barron is also uh, very good. So, so the answers are, are certainly out there, but it just takes effort on our part. Like, do you really uh, want to learn? You know, and uh, 
Yeah, thanks. Thanks for being here. And then lastly, one, one book I'll recommend that really transformed my faith is a book called The Reason for God by Timothy Keller. Uh, the Reason for God by Timothy Keller uh, is a book that really transformed uh, my faith and it kind of had a lot to do with what we talked about for God. He has a few. His name is Timothy Keller. So we could just end with a very quick prayer. In the name of the I think uh, before with that, I think um, I would recommend that you all go home and watch Jaws too, I think. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, and Joe, right. Joe, Joe just reminded me this um, the audio for tonight will actually be released on a podcast um, through uh, Facebook I think probably right Joe um, and uh, so you'll be able to listen to this or share it with other people the things that were shared tonight the audio will be um, out there we're also working on a site uh, part of the website beachcatholic.com slash God's Not Dead where we'll put some resources for us to uh, look at what we talked about tonight um, so if we can just say one uh, quick prayer before we get uh, in the name. I'm sorry to interrupt. Uh, just, <laughs> you don't want to pray? You don't want to pray? No, I do. I just, uh, just a couple of, just quick thank yous, all right? Um, well, I already did. I mean, thank, thank you to, you to all, for all of you for being here, most importantly. Uh, also to Mike, uh, Mike Griffin, for, uh, he really kind of organized the whole night, set up, so on. So thanks to Mike for your, all that you do. Uh, and again, to the, to the gentleman on either side of me, Father Leo, Father James, thanks. You guys are awesome. The best having you here. Um, I think we also got a couple of seminarians in the crowd somewhere. Dominic, who was here for this summer. Uh, Dominic gave an amazing uh, Holy Hour talk about a month ago at, at Miraculous Medal. I think uh, Stephen Rooney is here as well, so thanks to the seminarians for being here. Um, Jerry McKay, as always, uh, just sets up, helps out in a thousand ways, set up... Um, you know, just to make the place look so great. You're certainly welcome. We definitely have some more wine and beer and, and, and water inside in, in the in the uh, courtyard, so you can go in there if you if you feel like it. Um, also, uh, just a no, no pressure at all, but we got a little collection baskets and on the sidewalks if you wanted to throw a few bucks in the basket just to kind of help offset some. This was actually this wasn't a very expensive night, but. So what? You can still help out. <laughs> you can still help. <laughs> Probably too much info. But um, <laughs> but if you can help out in that regard, that would be appreciated as well. Um, Mike? Great. And in uh, two weeks, please encourage someone that maybe really needs to come to a night like this Wait, uh, to come to come in two weeks. And we have a holy hour next week, right? And we have a holy hour on uh, Thursday, a week from this Thursday at St. Mary of the Isle. Um, Father Leo. And Father Leo will be speaking at that. So that's that's uh, next, thurs uh, next Thursday. So it's like three weeks in a row. We got tonight and then next... Thursday. Thursday and then the following Tuesday. Correct. That's great. Correct, Father. Very good. Thank you, Son. <laughs> in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Uh, let's especially pray for all of us here tonight, our family members who maybe struggle to believe, and that each day we can grow further in our faith and our relationship with God. As we pray together, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you want to take a beverage to go or want to hang out for a little bit, feel free. But thank you guys for coming.